0: Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadgesat, and with me is Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, all human and non corporeal listeners. Greetings to everyone. If this is the first time you're listening to our podcast, Ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists. In fact, Ben writes for probably every publication you've ever thought of. Um, I've seen his work on Auto on Auto Trader, on Driving. Um, and you can find my work at Auto as well as on the Auto Guide YouTube channel. And uh, we're usually here to talk to you about the latest happenings in the new car world, sometimes the old car world. And we've got a couple of interesting cars to talk to you about this week. Ben, I'm going to start first. I was all the way in California to do a sweet road trip in the 2019 Mazda MX-5. And I actually drove both the RF and the soft top version of the car. And it's had an interesting refresh this year. So, so tell me about this sweet road trip. Like, Where did you well, start and where did you end up? I started in a place called San Luis Obispo and we drove from there to Monterey, California, and then we drove from there to San Francisco. And it was a couple of days on the road. Um and there's some really nice driving roads out there with great scenery, um excellent um surfaces, something that I was not expecting, um especially when you when you go in, like off the usual highway or or main road. They still have fantastically well-maintained roads up there in California, something that I was not expecting at all. Uh,
1: just a kind of a side note, San Luis Obispo is the town where UFC MMA legend Chuck the Iceman Liddell um, started out. He, I think he might still own a gym there. I'm not exactly sure, but he spent a lot of time when he was first training uh, in that area.
0: And in Monterey, California, isn't there a
1: celebrity connection there of some kind? Um well Clint Eastwood was the mayor of Carmel which That's is one just of. beside Monterey. <laughs> yeah, I'm not okay. sure if he's still the mayor anymore though. He was for quite a long time and but he's also extremely old. <laughs> so you know like no he's like did I ever tell you my Clint Eastwood story Sammy? No, and and of course listeners not. I need to hear this. So the my my father is a huge Clint Eastwood fan which is why this is stuck, stuck out of my mind and I think it was 2015 or 2014 I was at the Pebble Beach extravaganza that was going on in the Monterey Peninsula. And it was a couple of days beforehand and it was when Cadillac was unveiling one of its mm, concepts, I guess. I think it might have been right. the El Mirage, which was that the two-door or the four-door, I can't remember. That was it was gorgeous. It was it was the really really cool Cadillac concepts that they didn't do anything with. Right. Which was really sad, but it it took place at this house in Carmel or Monterey up in the hills somewhere. Well, not really the hills, just like a little bit away from the ocean. And Mm -hmm. the house was one or two houses away from Clint Eastwood's house. And someone had told me that what he likes to do is he just shows up unannounced at these kinds of events and then Mm -hmm. disappears. Like he's very good at getting in and out of large gatherings with no one noticing and uh i was like oh okay that's interesting and i just filed that away i never i didn't think it would come into play but like maybe an hour later i'm standing in the um lobby of this home because it's a very large home and of course your home has a lobby right mm-hmm. and i look up and standing beside the chef guy is clint eastwood and he's maybe like 20 feet away from me and he's really much taller than I thought he would be but he's also way older than I thought he would be like I'm talking <laughs> yeah, like is... oldest old like <laughs> Methuselah old like maybe he should have someone to make sure he doesn't fall down the stairs oh. old and I was I was shocked by that but I looked down at my phone to text someone and be like, hey, Clint Eastwood's here. And then I looked up, and he was gone. <laughs> he was just gone. And we're in the middle of a big room, right? Like, it wasn't like he just st- sidled away. It was like he <laughs> snapped his fingers, and he was like an assassin, and he just disappeared. So that's my that's my Clint Eastwood tangentially related to the auto industry story.
0: I actually have a similar story, although I didn't see him. Cadillac uh, hosted us as well for, uh, I think, the CL reveal, a convertible... Um, concept in, I think, his place in, in Monterey, which, or Carmel, Carmel Valley, which is pretty cool. But let's get back to this MX-5. Ben, what do you think the MX-5 really needs these days?
1: Ooh, um... um
0: if I you're going to say it's power, it's, that's what they got it. That's well, I can,
1: it. I can tell you that's what most people will say it needs. Uh, do you know what I think
0: it needs? Uh, less weight. Hydraulic steering. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good idea. So the 2019 uh, Mazda MX-5 is now going to be called, in terms of generation, it's going to be called the ND2, and it gets a slightly revised engine, a 2-liter turbo. I mean, a 2-liter four-cylinder engine. Well, did you where, just reveal future product by accident? No, they, don't, they don't have a turbo. I'm sorry. <laughs> what? They totally do. <laughs> well, not in this car. Oh, Maybe, as a, uh,
1: Fiat. As a side, as a side note, another side note, did you know that the 2.5-liter Turbo from Mazda fits mm-hmm. anywhere the regular naturally aspirated two point five liter turbo fits in any of their platforms? Well, there's
0: still no two point five in the MX five. I
1: yeah. just I'm just saying I learned that from our friend and colleague Stefan Ogbach from Motor Trend, who is uh telling me about the woes that Mazda's been having
0: with the diesel fuel efficiency on the CX5. But we can talk about that a little later. Okay, we'll talk about that in a little in a little while. But um the MX5 now has much more horsepower. About um uh, a little over 20, I think actually exactly 26 horsepower. Um, and they did that by kind of raising the red, lim, the, the red line on the engine. Instead of redlining at 6,800 RPM, it now redlines at 7,500 RPM. And that 181 horsepower peaks at 7,000 RPM. I really like this because it means that when you're driving this car, at least through um, these Canyon settings or, or back road settings, you don't have to immediately shift up into third only to shift back down into second like an instant later. Um, it means that you can hang on to a gear a little bit longer um, and you're rewarded with that as well. And I think that's the way the MX-5 works best is by by rewarding you with the speeds and the gear changes that you um, achieve.
1: So Fizzle. you're saying that it's, it's easier to drive because of the power? Does it feel quicker and is it quicker officially in a straight line?
0: Uh, I don't have any official numbers, but it does feel quicker at least getting up to speed. Um, but it's not like the m x five ever felt really, to me, it never felt slow. it was It was a very good um motor and a, actually a really good powertrain. I love the manual transmission in this. I think the gearing was always amazing, and they haven't changed ta- they haven't changed that really. Um they've also managed to you know shave a few pounds here and there and make the car a little bit more livable. It's got a rear view camera. I know that that's not a huge deal to many people, especially but, in a convertible. but um it's mandatory um, in the US. And so now it has this. It's a really weird looking like it fits in the in the bumper in the rear bumper, and it like you can notice it from like anywhere. it looks like a little dimple in the in the bumper of the car. Um they've also for the first time ever put in a telescoping steering wheel. Um, in the MX-5, so it will probably accommodate much more uh, different driving positions and and driver sizes.
1: Now, I wanted to ask you, does it feel quicker or as quick or less quick than your BRZ?
0: Actually, the MX-5 always felt faster than my... The the ND always felt faster than my um, FRS, Ben. My my Scion FRS. I don't have a BRZ.
1: Scion BRZ. (laughs) FRS. So many letters, Sammy.
0: Yes. Um, And... I, it's always felt that way. I always, I always liked the way it revved up. Um, it felt really free, as uh, as opposed to I don't know how to describe it really. Um, the the FRS and the BRZ always feels like um, it just feels like it's got more friction in 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 the engine a little bit. Like it just feels less free to rev up. Um, and the and the MX-5 changes gears very well. Um, the, the, the gearing is perfect, I'm telling you, it's extremely good. And the FRS has, um, the first three gears are very good, but after that um, they become really like long and they become like a highway um, fuel efficiency kind of gears. Mm-hmm. And the MX-5 never has that feeling.
1: Okay. Fair enough. So uh, is there a price increase to go with this more this additional power, or are we looking kind of at the status quo? Like, the- and, 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 and just so I, I make sure, this is the only motor you can get with the Miata. It's not like you can still buy the
0: less powerful one and then upgrade mm-hmm. to this motor. That's right. This is the only motor you can get. And there has been some changes to the pricing. Um, I don't have all of the pricing for all of the different models. I really only have, I think, MX-5RF. Uh, pricing, and that's because it's the most popular version of the car. In fact, apparently two-thirds of all MX-5s that are being sold right now are the RF model, which is kind of interesting. Um, I think me and you have talked about the RF and the soft top and our preferences between the two, and I'm starting to lean in your favor, which is preferring the soft top over the RF. Do you think that 100%, what? yeah. Um, I'm not sure if the RF provides the real MX-5 experience. It's, it, it's like... When you're driving the RF and you look in the side view mirror or just check, look over your shoulders, you see this um, ginormous—I don't know how to describe it—a pillar of some kind. Yeah. Um, It's the Targa like rear end of the vehicle, and it it really hinders your perception of it being a convertible. It just does not feel like a convertible.
1: No, for sure. And the other thing is, I find that when I'm in that car, and I'm not a very big guy, but I find when I'm in that car, I feel fenced in by the the rf in a way that i don't in the convertible so it further compounds that not feeling in a convertible experience and that's that's what the top down with the top up i don't really feel that it feels more coupe like i guess Mm. but uh yeah it's it's not i mean when you're in a convertible you should especially a roadster you should feel free and unfettered by you know obligation and it's it just it's (laughs) yeah it's it's a carefree kind of car and the RF doesn't give me that, and I also don't really like how it looks. It looks okay, but proportionally, okay. I think the ragtop is is just nicer.
0: I think you might be in the minority with with the looks. I think the RF looks pretty good, and they've added a few extra elements to it. There's like a painted roof now for it. You can get um, different packaging for different models. You can get more of the um, the Brembo brakes. The the I think they're Bilstein. Uh, suspension. There's BBS wheels. You can get those across a wider range of the trim levels. But the problem is that when you fully load up an MX-5, it comes to almost $38,000. That's a a a huge amount of money. That's a lot of money for a small, um, a very niche vehicle. So I think that's why I would also prefer the soft top. I think that's going to be much more affordable, although we don't have the full pricing on that yet. Um, I also think it's worth pointing out, though, the the rf which is the hard top like power hard top version of the mazda miata is lighter than the last generation soft top car okay which is a pretty impressive um feat and this one has made a number of of weight savings i mean each piston has been reduced by 27 grams um connecting rods are 41 grams lighter than usual There's, um, they just like shaved weight in every way they can. One of the things that they did that I think um, some tech heads will be really interested in is they've added a dual mass flywheel. And these are, these are designed to help um, improve smoothness and responsiveness, but they also, they tend to make the car a little bit um, noisier from what I understand. And Mazda had to really re-engineer their, their, their idea of this dual-mass flywheel to make it feel um, and sound quiet. And that's something that they were they were really working on. And I me, think they've achieved it pretty well.
1: Let me tell you a story about a dual-mass flywheel. Tell me a good story,
0: but yes, let's gather around and tell us the tale of the dual-mass flywheel. So my CTSV had a dual-mass flywheel.
1: And Man, it was I done
0: like for of that. Yeah, yeah, we'll get to that.
1: So <laughs> it had one from the factory, and the reason it had one is for exactly what you said. It makes driving smoother, and mm-hmm. the issue with that is it makes shifts less direct, and it also generates more heat in certain situations, especially if the flywheel is extremely heavy. Mm-hmm. So um, the flywheel in my car was fifty pounds. Which is crazy. Like I think the one I put in my dad's in is 16 pounds, and the lighter your flywheel is, the the easier a vehicle drops revs mm-hmm. between shifts, and uh as uh, and other things as well. The problem I had with with my Cadillac's flywheel is it would get so hot on the racetrack that the p- clutch pedal would stick to the floor, and I would have to physically reach down with my hand and pull it back up from the floor so I could shift. That's problematic because usually when you're shifting on a racetrack, especially if you're downshifting, it's because you're going into a corner, <laughs> hmm. and having to reach down and grab the fly the, the the clutch pedal and pull it up with your hand while simultaneously negotiating an apex is like <laughs> not something I recommend, particularly <laughs> in a four door sedan. <laughs> yeah, so I got rid of that. I actually have yeah. the the dual mass flywheel is sitting in my basement right now in a box, and oh. I replaced it with an LS7 clutch, uh, which oh, okay. is infinitely better in every possible way. I have never had a single heat-related issue with it. The shifting is way more direct. The only problem with the clutch, and this is kind of an issue across all the first-gen CTSVs if you do this modification, is you have very, very short clutch pedal travel before engagement. So uh, when you come off the floor, you're pretty much in gear, which means I can never give the car to a valet, which I would never do anyway. But anyway, that's my my dual-mass flywheel story.
0: I like that. Um, and, and it lightened
1: – it seriously lightened my car by 50 pounds. Like, I, I put it on a NASCAR scale afterwards, and I was astounded by how much lighter the car was.
0: Well, I mean, I don't think the that the weight increase on the MX-5 is is significant. In fact, I think they've made so many cuts everywhere else to help um, accommodate this dual-mass flywheel. But something that I did mention, the telescopic steering wheel, which I think is a really handy addition um, in today's world of, of cars – They had to do so much engineering as well. They had to add eight countermeasures to stiffen the the steering column. Countermeasures? Yes, they had to add all of these elements because when you add the telescoping element to the steering wheel... It introduces certain things like uh, vibration and looseness to the to the feel, and they needed to mitigate that. But as a result, they've added 0.45 pounds to the to the weight of the steering apparatus. There sounds kind of insignificant, if you ask me. <laughs> well, they're they're counting it, man. Like that's what I think is really funny about when Mazda um, develops a car, they count every um, every gram when it when it comes into this vehicle. But I will admit, I would prefer the MX-5 soft top. I think that's going to be the better bargain. It's a better choice. If I could live with one car, um, if I could actually, if I could have another car for like daily driving or driving in the winter, as I do here um, up north, um, it, I would definitely have an MX-5. But because I need space, and I need stuff, I need like practicality. The 86 and the FRS and the BRZ does a better job for me during. Um, all four seasons and the mx5 just can't handle that that responsibility fair enough what do you what have you been driving you've been driving some pretty cool stuff too Eh, you know Eh, i think what you drove is far more impactful than what i drove and by that i mean i told you told me that you were driving the new toyota corolla hatchback right that's one
1: of that's one of the cars i wanted to talk about yeah um and you've kind of caught me caught me off guard because i was planning on talking about that a little later, but let's get in. Too bad. I, like, I want to hear about
0: the more important car. You? Yeah,
1: you really seem to be down. Well, they're both hatchbacks today. They're just very different hatchbacks. Oh, okay. So last week, I spent about a day driving the new it used to be called the the Scion IM, and then it was called the Corolla IM, and now it's called the Corolla Hatchback. As it And should. before that, it was called the Matrix. It was called the Matrix. And you know what? <laughs> the Matrix was a really popular car, at least yeah. in Canada. You could get it in an – I think they had an XRS version with more horsepower. They had a, an all-wheel drive version. Mm-hmm. uh which is is unheard of can you think of a, a, a an all wheel drive hatchback i guess the only one in its class right now would be the subaru um impreza
0: yeah and i, I think the legacy and not legacy sorry the lancer had um like a weird sport back with Oh, Google that's Drive?
1: true. That's true. Yeah. So it's it's, it's an but unusual... But that's dead now,
0: right? It's an, I, I don't know.
1: this The Lancer's like a zombie. I, I can't tell what models still exist after it's 15 <laughs> or 20 or 30 years on the market unchanged. Right. But um, anyway, the, the Corolla, no longer all-wheel drive, but it, it's nice to have a, a hatchback in this segment. I mean, for a long time, or not a long time, but for a while, the only Toyota hatchback that was small that you could get was the Yaris, and the Yaris is okay if you're looking for very basic transportation, but it, it's if you need something more than that, you were kind of forced to look elsewhere, pretty much. I mean, every other car company had a hatchback. You had the Mazda 3, you had the even the Honda Fit before the... Before the um, Civic hatchback came out, you know there were there was you you had to go outside the Toyota showroom, but uh since Scion no longer exists and they've been normalizing everything the um uh, the Corolla hatchback is here to stay, hopefully, and it's actually a pretty
0: decent little car, Sammy. Tell me a little bit more, because I've heard that they've really gone to the, back to the drawing board with this car. It's a whole new generation. It's like It's got a bajillion new technologies and an interesting new CVT, as well as it's being offered with a manual transmission, from what I understand. And I've driven the manual transmission Scion IM, and it's the worst— and Corolla I am it's the worst manual transmission I've used in in forever I, Okay well I'm... that
1: is that is definitely not the case with this car. So first of all that you're you're right it is a different generation they've added a bunch of stuff to it. One of those is they've added this thing called the dynamic force motor. <laughs> It's a four cylinder engine. Dynamic force. I mean,
0: there's, force. No other, there's no a more ironic name
1: for a for anything Corolla related. It, it's kind of like a Clint Eastwood movie title if you think about it. But uh, dynamic force also makes me think of Mercedes Benz. Like maybe it should be like Distronic Plus Dynamic Force, <laughs> um, and it's all caps. But yeah. in this case, it's 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 a two liter four cylinder engine, but it has 168 horsepower, which is 31 horsepower than it used to, and that's always welcome. And uh, I just want to point.
0: 168. That's actually a lot of horsepower for a Toyota product.
1: (laughs) I want to point out that back in the 90s, in the early, well, the late 80s, early 90s, the BMW 325i had 168 horsepower from its 2.5 liter straight six. And that was considered, you know, sporty back then. So we're now, you know, 30 years later, you can get that in this tiny little dynamic force motor. Uh, I realize there's not really a link between those two vehicles, but I just felt like mentioning it.
0: Can I tell you that the XRS had 180 horsepower? Look, why are you always got to bring main, up the
1: XRS, man? The because Toyota's XRS. sick and tired of you talking about the XRS, which no longer exists. We get it. You like Look the up. XRS, Sammy? We get uh, it.
0: Are, okay, are I've we, totally lost my train of thought. <laughs> so you were right. saying
1: that the transmission is no good on the on the uh, non XRS Scion? Cor- uh, oh, man, this branding is so confusing. <laughs> Corolla hatchback yeah. and. It, it's 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 great now. Uh, it, I was it, the shifter itself isn't sporty at all. It's like a it's like a it's like a Bosozuku type of shifter that just sticks like straight I'm sorry, up. Sorry, what? You know, like those crazy Boso, Bosozuku uh, Japanese. They're they're like over the top uh, car gangs. Oh yeah, yeah,
0: both Suzuki. Yes, I know what those are, but maybe some of our listeners don't know what those are, so you should probably explain it for me. So I mean, they're that. like
1: they're the cars with the crazy aero kits and the huge exhaust pipes that stick straight up in the air like five feet, and they often have like giant shifters, like Big Daddy Roth, Big Daddy Roth style hot rod type shifters anyway so this has kind of a shifter like that but the action is really good it's very easy to shift and in addition to that extra horsepower you also get more torque 25 more pound feet of torque so the 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 whole package it's it's like they wanted to build a sportier corolla but they're not really telling you it's sportier they're just saying here's the hatchback and it also comes with an independent rear suspension so all of these things together it's like the the Corolla Hatch is the the stealth sport version of a very very popular car, and yeah. a lot a lot of car companies like to do this. Like I believe um, there's numerous hatchbacks that get improved suspension as compared to their sedan counterparts. Like Hyundai. I don't know, yeah, I don't know why, I don't know why it's like that, but that's just how they choose to do it. You can also get a CVT. I'm gonna go out on a limb and say it's actually a pretty good CVT. They've done a weird thing. Where it has an actual first gear in the CVT.
0: Yeah. So, I've heard that this is an interesting design, um, a, a very interesting design decision. Does it make any, I mean, it's made to make the car not feel like a CVT at low speeds. Is that what I understand? Yeah, well, when you pull off the line, you know, the,
1: the most annoying thing about a poorly designed CVT is drone. And one of the easiest ways to, one of the areas where you'll notice drone the most is when you pull off of the line and keep your foot in the gas. Mm-hmm. As you do that, the revs build, and then they stay, and you really hear the—if there's going to be any harshness, that's where you're going to notice it, usually also when you're trying to pass somebody and you peg the revs. So what Toyota did was they gave it a physical first gear so that it 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 has more—it's um, a little more aggressive off of the line without incorporating drone, and I really didn't notice any harshness from the transmission as a result. I can't say whether it improves performance so much, because even with the horsepower it has, it's not a performance car. But it is more fun than a CVT should be. Like you do, I I never use the paddle shifters because it has it has something. Mm-hmm. I think ten ratios, ten fade ratios. Oh my ratios. goodness! Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No one needs that. I'm not going to count to ten while I'm driving. <laughs> that asks way too much of me. I I just want to drive. So uh, CVT users, you're going to be pretty happy with this transmission. It's it's nice, and the manual is very good as well. So uh, the car itself. I was driving with a colleague of mine, Matt Saint Pierre, and he really hammered the car on these these two lane roads we were on. And actually, we drove the the event took place in a part of Quebec where I grew up, and there's a lot of great kind of mountain roads there. Mm-hmm. And the car behaved very well. It even on what I'm assuming are inexpensive entry level tires that you would get on a Corolla. Mm-hmm. It never felt like it was under out of control. It didn't really push that much. It felt fairly well balanced, and we were driving it in ways that a Corolla owner likely will never try. <laughs> Uh, the only thing missing was a physical handbrake, so we could oh. go full like Colin McRae on it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I I was impressed with the car. If I was gonna say things that aren't great about it, the mm-hmm. hatch is like you you pop the hatch and the load floor is so high because oh. there's a sp- there's a spare under it, and it really feels small. Like I was surprised. You can push the seats down to get more space, obviously, but. I was just really confused as to why they would make that decision. <laughs> it, it it seems like you would want a great big. Why not take advantage of it and have a great big cargo area there?
0: Um, I want to know a little bit more. So first of all, the way you describe the driving dynamics and handling feel and the and the transmission of this vehicle make it sound like it's going to fit both um, a, a slightly more enthusiastic buyer and also a a less uh, or a more mainstream buyer, which I think is pretty interesting. When it comes to the enthusiast market, I would always recommend um, something like the Mazda 3 and the Elantra GT or Forte um, – I think it's called the Forte 5 now um, because those are really fun cars. They come with great engines and they can – you can also have them with a the manual transmission. But where does the Toyota stack up in that end of the of the world? Um, it's def- it's the definitely, definitely nowhere near that level. Nowhere near I that. Mean, so would you no. say it's on par then with something like the Civic Hatch or the Volkswagen yeah. Golf?
1: Yeah, that's that's those are much better comparators for it's it's an everyday vehicle that can be driven in a sort of a fun way if you want to. It's not aiming, it's not a performance vehicle. And and, and to their credit, Toyota's not claiming it is. I mean it's, right. it's not like there's no package with like stickers where it looks crazy aggressive and huge spoilers and stuff. You can get an, an extra spoiler on the back if you want. Finally. Um, I need yeah, extra I know. spoilers. They got your letters, Sammy. But um I love it. it's actually it's only a tiny bit longer than the golf. In okay. uh, in terms of wheelbase, it's actually two and a half inches longer overall. It's um, actually also the Corolla I M that it replaces, or the Scion I M, or whatever you want to call it. It's one and a half inches longer than that. So oh, it's okay. they've made so, it yeah they've they've embiggened the Corolla hatch to yeah. for your pleasure, I
0: guess. Embiggening the smallest Corolla exactly uh, for everybody. I wanted to ask you what you thought of the interior. The design, or at least of the interior, because the old Corolla did not. I don't know the the Corolla. I am was in this weird um, space that it wasn't quite a Toyota, and what wasn't quite it was no longer a scion so it felt a little bit removed from the Toyota family, um, which was kind of cool in some ways, but also it was like, like what about the technology? There was no tech. There, there was no like fancy technology that you can get in all of the other Toyotas, um, like uh, the safety features. I think it's called Safety Sense. So it's got a ton of those
1: safety features. Those mm-hmm. are pretty much all present and accounted for now, if you're into that kind of thing. Uh, but I'm of two minds when it comes to the actual interior, the cabin materials that are used. We drove a high-end version of the car first, and okay. it felt okay. It felt, you know, fine. Um, it had tasteful plastics, and the seats felt nice and whatnot. And then we drove, like, a more basic version of the car in the afternoon. Okay. And, and wow, uh, <laughs> the rear seats, it honestly kind of felt like they just took – foam and like covered it with really <laughs> inexpensive fabric and just you have this like hunk of a bench in the back. <laughs> no, it was it was a huge difference. Like uh, not impressive at all uh in the in the lower spec. So mm-hmm. that's that's something to maybe keep in mind when you're shopping for shopping for the car.
0: No, I'm a huge fan of Corollas because they live forever and I still see many of that 99 2000 um generation of Corollas still on the road even in Canada after all the snow. And I wonder if the rest of the Toyotas will still have, or the the rest of the Corollas still have that lasting power. I mean, obviously there's more uh, choice in that segment, so there's going to be slightly fewer of them, I feel. But um, I always wonder what the what the longevity on, on these cars are going to be. There's, there's, one more, there's one more
1: was one more thing oh, yeah. I wanted to mention about the car that's kind of strange for this year. It has, uh, well, it actually has the D4S direct injection system that you have on oh, yeah. your, your BRZ, but. Um, it also comes with an automatic rev matching system on the manual. Yes, that's and, so and cool. It's called like I something. I can't remember. There's a oh, button that says man. like I something something on the. It it it, it it's 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 to, in there specifically to make it harder to stall the vehicle, which is how it was presented. Like it oh. was supposed to stall proof it or make it you know. I don't know. It. I don't understand how that... It was just a strange... And I asked a question about it, and I'm like, how would this prevent... Like, does it actually, if you upshift too soon, does it give you more revs? And they're like, no. <laughs> so, I don't know. It works if you want it. It's
0: there. Uh it, I think it might be called IMT. I think matching.
1: the button says, like, IMT or something okay. like that. So it runs uh,
0: the of the rev matching system.
1: Yeah. So okay. it's there if you want it. It's If you don't want it, forget about it. Uh, and one thing also to mention about the car, you know, I was talking about the Golf. It has 50 pound-feet less torque than the Golf, so keep that in mind. I mean, the Golf is turbo, and it's going to be a different driving experience, so instead of having the power up high like you do in the Corolla around 5,000 RPM, you're going to get it at like 1,600 RPM in the Golf, so it's going to be different in that sense. That's Even uh... though the horsepower is very similar.
0: And you know what? It it is interesting that they're putting so much effort in the manual transmission version of the of the Toyota Corolla. People have told us for years that nobody buys manual transmissions, and therefore they don't care at all about um, about that vehicle. So I'm really excited to see them putting that much effort in with this with this generation. Um, yeah the uh,
1: the the Stephen Beattie, the uh, head of PR in Canada for Toyota, I believe, he mm-hmm. made a joke at the presentation where he was talking about how he he has a calendar or he 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 had a bet with people in the office about how long it would be before someone mentioned that purveyor of beige cars and uh, not so fun to drive vehicles Toyota is going to be the one saving manual transmissions.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that's the, quite the
1: foreseeable future. Uh, and it actually only took 40 minutes in the presentation before someone brought that up (laughs) but uh there's there's another hatchback i drove and i want to talk about it briefly okay uh a couple weeks ago Mm -hmm. and that is the bmw 4 series the 4 series grand coupe oh yeah okay fine
0: uh, i was about to be like
1: what the 4 series is a coupe man the 4 series is honestly whatever you want it to be sammy you can get a (laughs) You can get a Grand Coupe, you, which has four doors. You can get a convertible. You can get a standard Coupe, which has two doors. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure there's a six-door version in the works, maybe a four, yeah. four-wheel four drive, off-road, um, ruggedized version, crossover, <laughs> X, X430i Grand Coupe uh, expeditionary version. Right, anyway, right. the one I had was the Grand Coupe. And I, I this I, I like the idea of the Grand Coupe a lot. Um, For those of you who aren't familiar, it's essentially – a four, the 4 Series Grand Coupe is a 3 Series that has a slightly wider track, mm-hmm. and uh, it's actually 0. 0.55 inches wider in the front and nearly a full inch in the back, and um, rear-wheel drive and all-wheel drive, which is interesting because the there's another version of the 3 Series called the GT that is also right. a hatchback that doesn't look very good. It's kind of like a more utilitarian version of the hatchback, and that's... I think in Canada, it's all-wheel drive only. I'm not sure in the States if you can get the choice... But um, it, it, it rides on the narrow-body version. So there's, like, BMW is making a wide-body and a narrow-body hatchback that are almost the same in almost every other way. But what I really like
0: about the 4 Series Grand Coupe, Sammy, is mm-hmm. it's so practical. I mean, have you driven this vehicle? I have a while ago. Um, I haven't driven a, a modern version of the vehicle. But you're also mis- missing the fact that there's also a 3 Series wagon. Like, there's a million different liftback versions of the, the 3 and 4 Series. I that's think a good that's...
1: point. But I, w- I would call the wagon is a long roof. So oh,
0: okay. I'm ke-
1: yeah. That's like
0: such an arbitrary. Name. Act like you roof.
1: know, Sammy.
0: That's insane. Well, what are all of them all called like oh whatever. This is what did you just say? <laughs> <laughs> long roof. Okay.
1: So this is this Hit is kind of Well, if yeah. you were gonna if you were gonna cross shop this, I guess you would cross shop yeah. it against like the A5 um, Sportback, right? Absolutely. Like that's right. that's the closest, and and that makes sense too because the A5 is another two door that's now a four door <laughs> mm-hmm. that comes with the hatch. But uh, it's so practical, Sammy. You pop the hatch on this, there's a ton of cargo space, and then you fold the seats down, and there's even more cargo space. Like yeah. honestly, why would you buy a three series sedan when you could get a wider, more aggressive looking four series grand coupe? It's well, it's just such a cool idea. It's 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 so useful. Who needs a crossover? You have this grand coupe.
0: There's I mean there's one real really important reason to get a three series, and it has a lot to do with I think uh, pricing. I believe so, the three series is much more affordable than the than the four series. Well,
1: the one I had was the four thirty, so the that's the entry level one with <laughs> the, the the turbo four, um, and I believe that it starts at forty seven thousand. In, okay. In the U.S. and if you want all-wheel drive, you add another two. Um, I'm not sure exactly where does the three series start.
0: A three series because a three series because you can get it with the 320 starts at 34 grand uh, or almost 35 grand in the U.S.
1: Okay, so if you're comparing comparable engines, so
0: let me find the 330 is uh, 40 thousand dollars.
1: Okay, so wow, that is quite a premium, seven. But that's uh,
0: that's a rear wheel drive model. You want an all wheel drive model? That's forty two thousand dollars. No, but I mean, just the rear wheel drive four series okay. four thirty is forty seven. Yeah, and so just the rear wheel drive three thirty is 47. actually
1: actually I'm seeing it listed as um, at forty four two ninety five. I think maybe I was looking at a fully loaded version. Let me double check. Okay, sure. There there could be a more affordable version of the car because the price differential. I don't know if it's really that huge.
0: I think um, I think the and then you'd also get the diesel version of the
1: car. Oh yeah, this is great. Um, Well, like like we're (laughs) like we're pointing out, there's a million versions (laughs) of of all of these cars. Yeah. So it starts at forty four thousand six hundred. That is the most affordable version, I believe, and that's the four thirty rear wheel drive. And And then if you want the most expensive, if you want the 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 straight six turbo (laughs) with all wheel drive, it's fifty
0: three. So that that difference is slightly less at the most fully loaded version of the car and a 340 x drive is uh fifty thousand and about 900 as well so it's a, it's a very small difference at that high end i think at the 330 it's about four thousand dollars and then uh, all the way if you can also get a 320 um version of the three series if you just want a three series for 10 grand less than the four series which i think is pretty impressive
1: yeah, I mean that's that's your least special impress right. your neighbours pricing, well, right?
0: In in my experience though, one of the things that really impressed me about the four series was actually the design of that hatch. Um, it has like really good struts that don't impede on on uh cargo space at all. It really just like lifts the and it and it lifts the 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 trunk opening quite high. It's like not in your face at all. I thought that was really awesome.
1: Well, you're a big Strut fan, aren't you? Don't oh, you yeah. have a
0: Strut-specific Strut, a Strut specific
1: blog or a Tumblr that's just Struts? Yeah,
0: SammyStruts.com.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I That's uh, honestly a bookmark on my homepage. I, I appreciate mean, I, that. That's good. Well, I mean, you, you, you do good work. So um, there, there's a, a couple things, though, that, that do kind of stand out about the 4 Series in a negative way. This, this particular car no that gave me pause. So I, I, drove, I first what? drove this car. I don't believe you. Yeah, I first drove this car maybe two or three years ago. And okay. at the time, I was pretty into it. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I drove this one, this particular model, right after... It has the eight-speed automatic. I just want to point that out. Yep. Um, I drove this car immediately after the M5. And getting inside the 4 Series Grand Coupe, the first thing that struck
0: me was the seating position is super weird. It's... um. It's not low and it's not high, if that's what I remember correctly. It's a it's, really strange – it feels like they built the car around you to be make you feel like you're sitting low, but you're not low. Is that, you're is not that low like, at all. In,
1: in fact, you're so high that my head, if I lean forward, hits against the sun visor. Mm-hmm. And I'm not tall. I'm not a tall guy. I mentioned that earlier. Did I mention earlier I'm not a big man, Sammy? That I'm not <laughs> – That I, when we were talking about the Miata. Anyway, um, so I'm in the car and I'm like, this feels really tight and I feel like I'm sitting like – in a, in a truck almost, mm-hmm. and it's so strange. Compared to the 3 Series, it's really, really different. In the back seats, they're kind of lifted up as well. It's kind of like a stadium thing, which yeah. makes sense. But in the front, it's just – it took me – I drove the car hmm, 700 miles. I, I went on wow. a long road trip with nice. it. I actually, I actually took it down to Portland to drive the Hellcat. Cool. And uh, so I spent a lot of time in the car, and it took all of that time for me to feel comfortable. It wasn't probably until like the sixth day I was driving it where I kind of eased into the idea that this is okay this is how I live now
0: I want to get into this with you because I want to know you spend so much time with a car and there's certain times you can get into a car you can adjust the seats and the mirrors and be like oh this is fine for me but there's other cars where you do that and then you drive it for a day and you're like no I, for some reason I can't see straight or I'm not no I
1: could not get the seat low enough I wanted the seat much much lower that's my personal preference so and that then you have to adjust
0: every day to be like is it right now is this good now and you're yeah, and you, sure. Did that happen with you with the Sport? I
1: had to get a knife out and tear into that seat and pull foam <laughs> out of that seat just so I could feel comfortable. Okay. But and, uh, the, the other thing about the car that stood out to me is it had uh, – my car had like a whole bunch of M stuff. like um.
0: As they tend to. Uh, BMW Canada loves to load their cars up with every conceivable option. It's really impressive that they love to show show off all of the features that their cars can be equipped with. I think that's kind of cool.
1: So this this car, even though it had that stuff, it still had that base engine. And I believe it's 248 horsepower. Sammy, is that is that correct? Mm, right around I guess there. guess so yeah. <laughs> 248 horsepower, 258 pound feet of torque. Okay. This is a heavy car. It is not light. You have all that hatchback glass. You have the extra bulk of the the width of it and all that stuff. It's uh it's fairly large, and that's not enough power for the car to feel sporty. It feels fine. Mm-hmm. It's it's totally cool. You're not gonna regret it. But you're not gonna be racing anybody. you're not gonna you know be blown away. It doesn't sound amazing when when you're you know at full throttle so those are all things to to keep in in mind if you're going for the four thirty instead of the uh, i guess the four forty
0: mm-hmm. so yes, uh, that's
1: pretty much all I really had to say about
0: the grand coup would you recommend it i mean if you're gonna get you, you for you you the way you described it was saying that um if you're going to get a three series, skip it and get the four series.
1: Yes, so I still feel that way, except for the seating position is super weird, and I don't know if I'm comfortable enough in the car to to drive it long-term. Like, now,
0: you are a huge fan of the A5 Sportback?
1: Yeah, it's, it's really good, and I didn't have any weird seating fe- feelings about the A5 Sportback.
0: So you would recommend that over this in any way?
1: I don't know. Uh, they're different cars. Oh. Different, especially with engine placement and things like that. I okay. mean, you have Audi hangs the engine out front, and... Mm-hmm. Um, that has an effect on dynamics. You got to drive them back to back. If you're looking for a useful everyday car in the luxury segment, mm-hmm. definitely make sure you drive both the Sportback and the Grand Coupe if you're looking at a sedan in that segment. I mean, don't just drive the 3 Series and the A4. You owe it to yourself to try these cars out because they can do so many things, and they look good too. I mean you're not going to look – you have kind of the longer, wider look with the BMW, but it, it doesn't It doesn't scream, hey, this has a hatch. Like you really wouldn't know because it has kind of a vestigial trunk kind of molded into it. So most people will look at it and probably – especially these days where we're getting longer, longer um, fastback style mm-hmm. on so many luxury cars. It, it's almost been normalized. So definitely try this car out.
0: Very cool. I also went on a couple of road trips um, recently, but I did them in something that, I don't know if they're quite road trip ready vehicles. I drove both the Ford F-150 and the Ram 1500, both in their top limited trim levels. Now it's funny that they're both top end specs are called limited um but i was originally supposed to compare the two and i ended up doing uh, a lot of not truck stuff i didn't put anything in the bed i didn't transport any tires like you do
1: why didn't you transport tires you could have <laughs> called me i had tires for you man like no i know, know you a set of
0: tires for you you're a weird tire shifting business
1: that you do there's nothing weird about being prepared for the tire apocalypse <laughs>
0: And I didn't tow anything with them, so I got really the average, um, li- like loaded luxury trim, uh, truck trim experience. And there's some interesting differences between the two versions of these um, pickups. Now, the F-150 has been one of the best-selling vehicles in North America for so long, and in fact, they might actually break a record this year, getting selling over 940 F-Series trucks. That's 940,000. Sorry, not just 940, 940,000. F-Series trucks and it's been super popular and they have so many different iterations of the car. They have like five engine options. They have all sorts of trim levels. You can get it with all kinds of packages that increase the, the the capabilities of this car, of this truck far beyond um, its competitors. So if you really wanted to, you could get an F-150 that can tow over 13,000 pounds or haul over 3,000 pounds, while the fully capable Ram will do much less than that, about uh, 12, about 1,000 pounds less um, in terms of towing and about 500 pounds less in terms of um, hauling. So it makes me think that, you know, the F-150 is designed to be a really nice um, pickup truck, a very capable pickup truck first, and the Ram is meant to be more of a lifestyle or luxury or or family vehicle. I had the crew cab version of the Ram 1500, and I'm telling you, it's super spacious. I was really impressed with it. And the, the materials and leather and design of the interior are far above what Ford is offering in the F-150. I also cannot get over how smooth the Ram 1500 was to drive. It was very strange because I'm usually expecting um, a, a pickup truck to be... Somewhat capable off-road, and uh, and by that I mean smooth, easy to, to handle potholes or, or speed bumps or craters wherever however we want to call them
1: craters.
0: Yeah, I don't know. Like uh, some of my provincial parks have really poorly maintained like um like entry driveways, and they just like ginormous holes on the way in. And if I drove my car like my FRS in there, it would get eaten up by these things. It would just like die. And I felt like every time I drove through these kinds of um, craters in the F-150, it felt really uncomfortable. It felt crashy and, and loud and, and, and un- like I said, uncomfortable. But the Ram I had had the air suspension, and if you raise it up into the off-road one or off-road two position, it's like, it's like nothing's there. I'm so impressed with the with the suspension setup, especially the air suspension in the Ram. So I'm trying to get. What I'm trying to say is that. I was really impressed with the RAM again. I think this is the second time we've talked about the new RAM, um, and I'm trying to figure out what makes the F-150 so strong in in its segment. Well, do so you many, have any answers
1: for me? There's so many factors out there. I mean, first of all, I don't think anyone's towing 13,000 pounds on that F-150. I think yeah, you can point. get a Super Duty, right? Yeah, you're gonna get a super duty just so because because towing is is also a function of gross vehicle weight rating mm-hmm. and how much the the chassis can handle. So you have to figure if you have you know four passengers in there and you have a lot of gear like uh, in the bed of the truck that detracts from your tow rating. So at a certain point, um, you're gonna want the additional braking and maybe even a diesel for or a, not 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 a light duty diesel, but a heavy duty diesel for for really. Heavy-duty towing. I mean, thirty thousand mm-hmm. pounds that's a lot of that's a lot. I mean, my, my dad's race car, which is what he tows the most often, it's probably around thirty-seven, thirty-five hundred pounds plus a thousand pounds of trailer. So you're yeah. still well under seven thousand yeah. pounds. Yeah. Um, so, uh, it, it, the, but that that can also inform why there's a difference between these two trucks. Like Ram might be, be it's more luxurious; it has more gear inside of it already, so that means it can tow less. Yeah. But I think that when you when you're like, why does the Ford sell so well? I think that there might be it
0: might be more affordable at the entry level. Yeah, that's um, definitely the case. I found that in our fully loaded trims in Canada are over eighty thousand dollars. That's a lot of money for a truck, Ben. That's insane, right? But there's no ceiling. I mean, you can get nearly a hundred thousand dollar truck in oh. the U.S.
1: F- if you're looking at a at a heavy duty pickup, and and they still haven't found the ceiling on these trucks yet. That's wild. Uh, but if if you can get a cheap entry level model, um. If you can get a version of the truck that has great incentives on it, which is another thing that is something maybe we don't talk about enough in the truck business so much. Mm. The reason 940,000 trucks are sold is because there's cash on the hood, right. and it's a numbers game. It's not necessarily a MSRP game. So there's a lot of weird stuff in the truck business, I think, that kind of goes – bubbles along under the surface. And and one more thing I want to add that's maybe only tangentially related to this what is going to happen to this industry when that 940,000 unit wave crashes? What do you and, mean when they're
0: when they're not selling that many trucks? Yes, every yes. year. When, I mean that when, happened before with the I think back uh, in the day. I can't remember when the, the last time they filled that many trucks, but it's gone. It's never been that high before.
1: It's not it's not going to, you know, it's it's not going to be um it's not
0: going to be you think it's going be tough for thing? them, yeah, it's gonna be tough for them to recover when people aren't buying as many trucks,
1: yeah, well, when you're not when you can't float the rest of the company on f one fifty sales, yeah, you're yeah. gonna have to do something about that, and I'm not going sell more singling... over I'm not do? <laughs> No, but that's going to drop too. I'm not necessarily singling out Ford. Mm-hmm. But I'm saying if if you have this one product that's selling so high and that's going to stop one day and it might stop for reasons that are totally out of your control if it's a recession or if it's a fuel crisis, all this sort of stuff and it's going to have a huge effect. I mean, hmm. you know, eggs eggs in one basket,
0: right? I will add that uh, something that the F-150 did really well, uh, in my experience, was it achieved fantastic fuel economy in comparison to the Ram. Now, the Ram was equipped with the 5.7-liter Hemi V8, not the e models, which are being tested, I think, later this summer. Um, Actually, I think it's uh, maybe in a couple weeks. Oh, okay. There we go. And the F-150 had the 3.5-liter EcoBoost, and not the Raptor Motor, um, this is the 375 horsepower one. Now they've just upgraded the limited to be able to be, uh, it could be equipped with a 400 plus horsepower version of the engines that's shared with the um, Raptor, and so I'm very excited to see what that's like. But as is, the way I had it with this 10 speed automatic, it was extremely fuel efficient. I was getting um, under 13 liters per 100 kilometers, which is something I did not expect in a pickup truck, and it had a really smooth automatic start stop start stop. Um, which I think helped aided the the cause there, and it's a great feel, great feeling engine, lots of torque, and it's not saying that the 5.7 liter Hemi V8 isn't um, good, but it just wasn't as efficient as the the Ford's turbocharged V6. I wanted well, to actually talk to you though. I mean, like I said, I I went on some sweet road trips. I actually went stargazing in the in the pickup trucks, but I wanted to talk to you because you also. Um, took out your, your hobby toy there and went to... Uh, hobby toy, wow. And went to, to on just a, diminish a... my efforts. <laughs> and went on the race track with it. Went and did me. your
1: own little thing with all your little friends. Did you have fun, Ben? <laughs> Was that something cool? Is that what you guys like to do? All in air quotes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, pretty much. You, did, you, did the Datsun get out of the garage?
1: Yeah, it gets out of the garage on a regular basis. Why do you say this like an accusation? Like, hey, uh, you know that car you claim to own? <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i went i went to um i went to Palmer Motorsports Park this weekend with the Datsun and it has a new drive shaft and new rear differential mount. Yeah, you, you
0: detailed all of those uh, all of that on the, uh, a couple weeks ago. So I'm, I'm yeah, excited so that, to see it's like on the track now with all
1: the Well, cars on right. the on the highway getting there it was so smooth and it was so, it was like it was like a new car. I just felt Ooh. much more comfortable. Um not so comfortable are the 40-year-old seats in the car. They look great but like they kill my back. So I actually went to I went to Walmart and bought a little pillow and I put the pillow behind me and drove at this weird angle on the way home and it was much better. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) But I got to do something about that. But the track was fun. Uh, The first two sessions were dry. Um, The car is three seconds faster than it was at this track about two months ago. Yeah, and I don't think that has to do with the mods that I've made to it. I think it's totally weather dependent. It was very, very hot and humid the last time I was there. And we were probably 10, 15 degrees cooler. And I think that made the biggest difference. But uh, in the second dry session, I had uh, an issue with fuel starvation on left-hand turns because... The gravity was pulling fuel away from the fuel pump. Mm. Uh, it was it was too low in the in the tank. So what would happen is, I, as I was pulling out of those corners, I would have sputtering in the in the car. So I kind of came in a bit early, and then the heavens opened up on us and, and it rained, really hardcore. <laughs> I don't really have rain tires on the car. They're um, Nitto NT01s, mm. and they're fairly worn in terms of tread. So I went out for a session in the rain. It was 20 seconds slower a lap because if I hit standing water with the car, it would just physically move like. In one direction or the other. It was like a lateral push. And you can't always predict where the push is going to be, especially since one of the standing water areas is on the main straight. And you're hitting it pretty fast, probably 100 miles an hour. And you definitely don't want
0: to do that. Yeah.
1: No. So I I called it a day after that. I I skipped the last session. I came home early because I also had to drive home in that rain. (laughs) And visibility is not great in that car when it's raining because it it struggles to keep the windshield dry and Mm. this and that. And I think I also have water coming in the floor vents because my feet got soaked on the way home. Oh, no. (laughs) So, but it was it was a good session. The, the car held up well. Um, I'm heading to Tremblay, Montremblay uh, circuit in a couple of weeks, or I guess maybe a month, actually. Cool. And that'll be fun. Just, just the cars holding together nicely. Uh, there's a few things that I still need to get at with it. But thank you for asking about my tiny little hobby that I enjoy with my <laughs> old car that you no. can
0: understand why I own. I mean, really, I always love hearing your updates on uh, you taking your, your old Datsun out to the track. I think it's really cool that you do that because I'm sure that you saw a few more, more modern cars. Is yours one of the older cars that, that, at, at your lapping um, club there?
1: It's almost always the oldest car. There are a few exceptions. There's someone there with a GT40. Wow. Um, okay. I believe <laughs> wow. I believe it's a replica, but there's also a real GT40, an actual GT40 that lives at Palmer. It's it's in one of the garages and it gets out every once in a while. There's a couple MG's from time to time oh, okay. and Sprites that I see, but not always. So yeah, I'm I'm usually one of the oldest cars. There's sometimes also we get muscle cars like uh, mid '60s Mustangs.
0: Oh, interesting.
1: But uh, I was wondering if anyone in our in our listener audience uh, has an older car, and uh, or a hobby car as Sammy would call it, it's somewhat dismissively. If if I'm you would, kidding. if you want to write in and tell us about it, we would love to hear about that. it's Sammy, if they wanted to get in touch to talk about that or talk about anything
0: else that
1: we've said or will say or maybe are thinking about uh, how would they do that
0: i would recommend that they hit us up on social media you can find me at sammy underscore ha and ben usually prefers if you reach him out on instagram he i think you have the same uh, twitter and instagram handle anyways which is hunting at hunting benjamin right yeah,
1: but just don't use Twitter. I mean, Twitter is just so evil and, and sad.
0: I mean, and <laughs> I just... and I'm on both of those networks, on, to, on Twitter and um, Instagram. You can probably find me more active on Twitter than Instagram. But um, I have the same handle in both ways. Additionally, if you wanted to be less social and less public, you can email Ben. Uh, he's Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com.
1: And you can also find us on our Facebook page, just Unnamed Automotive Podcast on Facebook, or go to unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. You can find all of our episodes there with photos of the cars that we're driving and a little bit more information on it from time to time. You can subscribe to us from that page. We have links to everywhere on Google, uh, iTunes, the Google Podcast thing that they just came out with. Yeah. We're on Spotify. We're on CastBox. A whole bunch of it. Sammy, what's that What's that little hobby, weird little app that you like to use for podcasts?
0: Uh, I use PocketCast and Google Play Music. I also know that we're on iTunes. So you know we're on all these little tiny ones that people might like.
1: <laughs> so yeah, and um, Sammy, what what are we gonna be talking about next week?
0: Oh, I didn't think about next week. Um, I've got <laughs> um I've got a pair of luxury crossovers, the Acura RDX and the Infinity QX50, that I'm gonna I'm going to be doing a comparison on, and I'll probably talk to you about one of those two. That sounds
1: pretty interesting. I really like the QX50, so I'm curious to see uh, how it compares to the, the Acura. I, I'm going to be talking about the Mercedes-Benz S-Class Cabriolet, which I've been spending a
0: lot of time with this past week. Excellent. So I can't wait to talk to you about those two. And uh, for our listeners, don't forget to send us any questions or comments. We really appreciate the feedback and the reviews, um, and we'll look forward to talking to you guys next week. Bye-bye, everybody.